RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Global thought crime legislation doomed to fail. Critic says Western governments are introducing laws to ban disinformation and misinformation that seek to criminalize a writer's intention and outlaw meanings that contradict government narratives. But the media repetition of official truths, often itself disinformation, is becoming meaningless noise. David James, an Australian finance and business journalist, 30 years plus experience, wrote that, and he joins us here at Reality Check Radio. David James, welcome on our radio station. Great to have you. Thank you. Doomed to fail? Well, I'd like to run through the logic of, or the illogic, of what they're trying to impose. Um, You know, I've got a literary background, so I tend to look closely at the meaning of words. And I think when you do that, you can see that the whole thing is a trick um, designed to deceive, and that if that trick is exposed, uh, the thing will collapse right. from its own from its own illogic. So what they've done is they've added the, uh, prefixes to the word information. So they've add, added dis and miss and also mal, <clears throat> which is particularly stupid. Um, it's the latest one. <laughs> yeah, malinformation is is information that's true but done with bad intent. Right. Wow. How do you anyway, measure that? Oh, yeah, good question. I'll get to that. Um, they've added the prefix to these words and then um, essentially told people that they're going to ban these things with the European legislation and the proposed Australian legislation. So here are my questions. My first question that I think should be asked of that is what do you mean by the word disinformation? And I would imagine in most cases they would say something along the lines that, um, oh, well, disinformation is information that's false and deceives people and, you know, tells them, for example, that vaccines might be dangerous or whatever. If they go down that route, and they almost certainly will, then the next question is, well, what about the government's false information? Mm-hmm. Does it apply to that? And, of course, the answer will be no, because the government, if so facto, can't possibly provide false information, even though I'll give some examples of the false information that the Australian government provided. Um, they said we were going to have a few weeks of lockdowns. Yep. We had years of lockdowns, well, over, over a year anyway. They said we, we had a horrific Spanish flu-style epidemic sweeping through the country and look at all the cases. Um, According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, in 2020 and 2021, we had the lowest level in Australia of respiratory deaths on record. Yeah. So instead of having a Spanish flu, we had the exact opposite. What they did was they, using a dodgy PCR, the dodgy tests, for the first time in... um, medical history, they said that if you test positive for something, then you have the disease. And there was a site called um, Worldometer, Mm -hmm. which tracked in Australia the number of people who tested positive who had no symptoms. I was one of them in New Zealand. Right. And and, um, 80% had no symptoms. Now, logically... If you have, if you test positive for disease and you have no symptoms, there are only two possibilities. One is the test is rubbish, which it was, or your immune system has knocked it off. 
in either in either situation, you are not sick. You are not a case. You you do not have the disease, right? So, getting the um, the government lied repeatedly and presented false information. But so they, if you say, well, if it's about false information, then how, why doesn't it apply to you? And of course, they won't accept that. So the next question is, can inf- and this is I think the the key point. Um, can information do anything? Yeah, that that's is, a good question. Yeah, and the answer like, is like no. change people. Well, information of itself cannot do anything at all. Yeah, the, the the analogy I use is you know the Nazis burned books, but they didn't arrest them and put them in jail. Information is an artifact, right. like an article or a post, is no more active or able to do things than a rock. You know, yeah, and 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 saying saying things, saying that um, we're going to penalise disinf- any form of information is a bit like arresting the alphabet. It's not, <laughs> yeah, that's it's, a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's okay. complete. It's total nonsense, right? So just because you attach a prefix "dis" to the word information doesn't get you away from that problem. Information is not something that can be subject to law in itself. What can only be subject to law? is the act of creating meaning by someone, by a person. And what they are actually doing is they're trying to proscribe, to prevent people creating meanings that do not line up with the official um, position of the government. That's that's what they're actually doing. So, now, so it doesn't tr- truth has nothing to do with it? No. no. Right. Oh, God, no. Don't no. be silly. How naive of you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's about, sto- it's about stopping people creating meanings that we don't agree with, right? That, mm. That's what it's actually about. Of course, they won't say that because to, to say that, but they have to be forced to say that because it's the only logical conclusion. And they won't say it because then that exposes the tyrants that they are. They're actually telling you not to think certain things, otherwise we'll come and get you. Well, in their persuasion effort here on disinformation, it's all about safety. It could take people into an unsafe place. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. But it, hmm. um, if you understand that the information itself cannot do anything, you know, it can't. Yeah. It's just an artifact. It's something created then it takes you to meaning. And when you get to meaning, the creation of meaning, and this is where my literary background sort of kicks in, I guess, you've got two insuperable problems. One is um, it's called the intentional fallacy in literature, that you can never know the meaning of an, the mind of an author um, because you can't know the mind of another person, let alone an author, right? Even someone you don't know. And so when you say that, this person is creating meanings, intending to create meanings that we don't accept, how are we going to prove it? You can't. Mm. If you go into a court of law, you can't prove a person's intention. How do you know that a person isn't being ironic or sarcastic or have all sorts of various intentions when they create a meaning? Um, And I'll get back to that a bit later because I actually can prove it in relation to something I did. That's the first problem. That, and and then, it's, which is called the intentional fallacy. I mean, I said in the article, my supervisor at university was a world expert in irony. And uh, yeah. 
He used to walk around the campus with a T-shirt saying, how do you know I'm being ironic? <laughs> yeah, which is ironic in itself. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But you don't know a person's intention. And that's why int intention is very hard to prove in a court of law. Um, so you've got that first problem. And that's why one of the reasons I think the law will collapse. Right. The second one is much more profound, much more significant and much easier to prove. And that is um, when people read something or are told something, they will get a whole variety of different meanings as a res from what they're either reading or hearing. Um, because, and this was another, there's another school of literary thought called deconstructionism, which is an absurd exaggeration, but it says that the author is dead because the reader gets, the, the, there are many meanings for the reader as there are readers, right? Now, that was an exaggeration, um, but it's still true that if you're trying to stop the creation of certain meanings, then you have a huge problem, which you can see whenever you look at the comments on a social media post. Yeah, good point. You're absolutely right. You'll, get, you'll see an astonishing array of completely different meanings that people are getting from it. And some you'd think, you think, how the hell did they get to that? Exactly. And the, that's what I mean when I say everyone thinks for themselves. And everyone has a subjective life, and we all think for ourselves. Now, it was it was very interesting. I, that article was reposted on Robert Kennedy's site. Oh, wow. Cool. And I, I made the – I just casually glanced at some of the comments, the first couple of comments, right? And my, when I said um, people think for themselves, I mean it in the most basic literal sense that mm. everyone thinks for themselves all the time. That's what it is to have a subjective life, right? I mean, it's just a statement of absolute fact. They took that to mean that I thought people would think critically and intelligently and independently. <laughs> and, and, and then they, you know, bitterly disagree with me saying that, you know, no, people are dumb and they won't. And, and I thought, well, there you are. You proved my point, haven't you? My intention was not what they thought it was, but they thought for themselves and they came up with a completely different meaning. Yeah. Now, if if it's about meaning and not about information, how are you going to defend that on any level, legally or otherwise? Because all you have to do to prove that you can't create it, we are not robots having data fit into our you know hard drive. We are human beings who think for ourselves and will get you know, as you say, people come up with meanings that you think, where the hell did they get that? But that's what happens. Yeah. So if if you take them off the, the word information and put them onto the word meaning, you can have them for breakfast. It, I mean, you should be able to eviscerate it in court because legally it's in, it, it looks to me to be indefensible. And, and, and lawyers, um, you know, lawyers deal in semantics, the meaning of words, and they deal in, in logic. So they should be able to. Once they see it, yeah, I mean, um, it, should, it should be it should be impossible to defend. There, there does seem to be um, an assumption among the censorious types that people will suddenly believe or, or be moved over to a position on the first reading. Like if someone says something about something, that instantaneously people will be hooked, they'll be <laughs> persuaded, and they'll en masse go to that. Well, as you, 
Go and have a look at a social media post. I guarantee you, if you look at five social media posts, you'll see the first reaction is extremely positive. The second reaction is extremely negative. It's all over the place. Yeah, and, some and, are and, weird and, tangents. Yeah. I mean, right. it, it's something that, um, and I cite my, the response to my article on Robert Kennedy's site. Um, it's just a demonstration of the point. But, you know, I'm a long-term journalist, and I've never been, um, never ceased to be shocked at how bizarre the readers' reactions are. Yeah. They're all over the place. Yeah. And so and sometimes it's um it's the diametrical opposite. Like I get criticized. It's very funny, actually. I get criticized for, have been criticized for writing the exact opposite of what I actually wrote. Yeah. 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 It, it just it, it just goes on all the time. It? How do you explain well, it? Well the only way to explain it is um the people think for themselves. And yeah. they what actually I think happens is people see words or hear words that have particular resonances for them. Like in this case, the word that resonated, the phrase that resonated with those readers in my article was think for themselves. And they took yeah. that to mean think critically, think independently. Yeah. You just mean the act of just thinking. It doesn't matter what the result is. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and that that's how it works. Like people see a, like there was another response to that article on the Brownstone site, was, that's where it ran first, where I made a comment about um, economics, because I'm an economic finance writer, and and saying, that, you know, is it going to apply to economics forecasts, which are, you know, absurdly inaccurate, you know, absurdly. I mean, you're better off with a dartboard. <clears throat> um, and some guy emailed me and said, well, you know, that'll all be sorted out too, and those guys will go to jail. Like, it, it just triggers this – people get the, – the words trigger meanings in people's heads that they've already sort of half got there. Yeah. So the idea that they're just going to, as you say, um, just going to be uh, – take it verbatim and believe every last bit of it exactly as – they think it was written. It's just flat out wrong. That's not what happens, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, you, you mentioned disinformation, um, and, and you know, you talked about the meaning of words. Where does misinformation fit in? There's disinformation. Well, di disinfo Mis what's the subtle? Is there a subtle difference? Or is it oh, oh, there is. Thing? There is. Um, disinformation is claimed to be information that's incorrect, according to the government, and was intended to be incorrect. Misinformation is information that is incorrect but wasn't intended to be incorrect. All right. Okay. And malinformation <laughs> is information that is um, information that is correct, um, but there were, you know, nasty intentions behind it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Even though it's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is rubbish. This is rubbish. And and the semantic nonsense. And they're talking about meaning. They're not talking about information. And if you make that um, the creation of certain meanings they don't agree with, and if you make that jump and, and understand that uh, information is no, no more active or subject to the law than a rock would be, it's just, yeah. it, it's just a thing that sits there. And then jump to the the active part, which is the creation of meaning. You can just well a expose the tyranny of it, and b expose the absurdity of it. 
Yeah, but but we're potentially in a hostile environment here, right? Where people are trying to enforce. I mean, it's ridiculous, and it does sound doomed to fail when you explain it in that way. But there are people who are pushing hard to make this happen. And there are also um, signs, there have been a few signs here. You talk about uh, the you know judicial role, where judiciary have been siding, actually, in, in some of their judgments, with the the purveyors of these kind of... Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not, yeah, I'm not suggesting that um, we haven't got a problem. We've got a problem. No, so we've got to fight, then, right? We've got to fight. That, well, well I, I'm suggesting um, there's a huge problem. Um, I mean, the collapse of our institutions for starters but um what i'm arguing for is two things one is if there's any lawyers listening there will be go and look at the semantics that's what you're skilled at look at the meaning of the words and you will see it right the information doesn't do anything it can't be subject to the law it's a rock right Right. it's and and proscribing information is like arresting the alphabet, right? Yeah. Um, So any lawyers listening, this is a feast, you know. All you have to do do is supply semantic analysis, which lawyers are very good at, and logic, which lawyers are also good at. The only thing is that lawyers tend to uh, look at semantics through the prism of precedent, you know, like, what previous court cases mm. in, in this case it's just semantics cold you know there's no precedent involved it's just it's just just the meaning of words and logic right and the second thing is um everyone else who's listening is not a lawyer um if you can understand what i'm what i'm pointing to ridicule it i was going to ask you about that is that a good Did, tactic take the piss out of it well ridicule it because it is ridiculous yeah, well, that's the word, it, isn't it? It's actually ridiculous that they're basically trying to pretend that a rock is causing a crime. And if people see it, you don't unsee it. Yeah. Right? And and there's nothing better than just flat out ridiculing, with using logic and semantics, ridiculing someone who's trying to tell you what to do because it actually takes away from them their weapon. If, on the other hand, you buy into their language trick, and sort of play along with it, then you then you can get caught. You yeah. know that that's the, the source of their power here, and this isn't the first, the only place this happens, is language manipulation. Yeah, that's it does seem to be an uptick in that. There oh, are massive, certain massive. words that are being used kind of universally around the English spoken world, anyway, which have been used by multiple jurisdictions, multiple countries, leaders, whoever, to kind of. In the same way, it's like they've been chosen as a sort of like a go-to group of words. Yes. They don't actually really mean the the thing that they really mean. That's right, yeah. But the thing about when someone uses language, um, and and this I don't don't think people appreciate as well as they might, when someone uses a language trick on you – they are relying on you buying into that trick for them to have the effect thereafter. If you don't buy into it, if you attack the language itself, they've lost their power. Yeah. That, that's the point I'm making. And ridicule um, is the tool. 
is the way to go. Well, you don't have to ridicule. For the rest you, of her non-lawyers, anyway. You don't have to ridicule. You can just use logic. No, I feel like ridiculing. <laughs> so do I. But um, yeah. Yeah. I used yeah. to write a satirical column for Business Review Weekly for about 11 years, um, in um, which was the, the national business magazine in Australia. So I'm, I'm quite quite like ridicule. <laughs> okay, yeah. Has its place. Yes. Look, uh, in the time we've got a couple of other things, um, I think you've explained that really well. So um, it's, it's it's as dumb as a rock, the, yes. the information as it sits. Yes. We, we get it. Dis or otherwise. Yeah, yeah, dismiss or mal. Yes. <laughs> okay, so a couple of other things that our audience are definitely interested in. No particular order here. Central bank digital currency. A lot oh. of... A lot of a lot of folk now are pretty well resigned that this is this is the future of money. I I completely disagree. Yeah, yeah, and I think they're looking at. There's a very very big danger, but it's not that. Right? Okay, well, why isn't it that when it feels like it might be? Well, the question that should be asked about the central bank digital currency is: Does it have an interest rate on it? Oh, okay. Um. I mean, I don't see anyone asking that question, but that's the question. Because if it doesn't have an interest rate on it and it becomes the main form of money that we use, then it will destroy the private banking system, which relies entirely on the interest rate. In fact, I go even further and say that the entire capitalist system relies on the cost of capital, which is the base interest rate. So is it, is like cash doesn't have an interest rate on it. If they start using a central bank digital currency... Um, they'll go into direct conflict with the private banks, mm. and and um, all of which, let alone the credit cards, which businesses which use a twenty percent interest rate, they just go out of business, right? So, <clears throat> how likely do you think that is to happen? <laughs> Not. And by the way, your your central bank um, did a report, and I was looking for it. I can't find it, but I, I read it a couple of years ago on central bank digital currency, and it made exactly that point. Yeah. That if we if we bring in a dominant form of money that's run by the, the Reserve Bank, which is not the Reserve Bank's function anyway, hmm. um, then we, it will go into direct competition with the private banking system, you know, the ANZ. Now, um, it ain't going to happen. Like, in Australia, Australia is run by 10 corporations, right? Um Ten. Ten. Yeah. yeah. BHPO, Rio, Telstra. And anyway, four of those four of those corporations. And then, and there was a senator called Senator Dastiari in Australia who actually said that in public, right? It was a few years ago. And yeah. I, I remember watching him thinking, oh, that's an interesting career decision you just made. And sure enough, he was out of the parliament within about – shortly thereafter with accusations of all sorts of things because he told the truth. Now, those ten yeah. corporations run Australia, right? And four of them are banks. Now, do you really think that those banks will allow their businesses to be unravelled? I don't think so. Okay. But what you should be worrying about, what people should be worrying about, is what happened to Nigel Farage. Yes. Okay. Mm. It's where the private banks uh, turn on their customers. Right? Um, that That's a real danger and it hasn't happened yet in Australia it's happening to an extraordinary extent in the UK now I've just written a story on um, 
cash in Australia because Macquarie Bank just stopped using cash. And um, it's not as big a deal as people think, but I, I was asked to just store it. I found out something interesting because people confuse cash and the CBDC as if it's the same issue. I'm a big fan of people using cash. Right. And what, what I've found is um, when I went looking, it was quite interesting that the in Australia, um, the use of cash for small purchases is declining. And there's obviously less supply of cash through ATMs and things like that. And they're trying to reduce it. But the amount of cash in circulation is actually quite large, which doesn't seem to make sense. But the cash in circulation is all 50 and $100 notes. Okay. Yeah. Because people are hoarding it. Oh, under the mattress kind of stuff. Because they don't trust the system. So okay. cash is not actually fading out. It's just changing. Like people, instead of using, they're, still, they're using their cards to buy a cup of coffee or something. But they, meanwhile, they're sticking a lot of money under the mattress because they don't, and reasonably enough, they don't trust the system. So the picture's a bit more complex. I mean, I, I find it, I find it interesting as a sort of long-term financial journalists watching people who've and, and and documenting, you know, the way that finance tyrannizes us and oppresses us. And I'm, a lot of people are coming to this game much later. You know, they, they're realising how important it is, like with the CBDCs. But they're, um, because they're latecomers, they're making quite a few factual errors, you know. Right. Um, and but I, I'm very happy that they're looking at it because finance shapes our lives. Yeah, totally. And, and that's why debanking is so scary. I mean, there is a, um, a case here in New Zealand with a religious community that's got an injunction um, to stop the debanking, but it, it it's kind of imminent depending on the outcome of a case. So that is starting. Yeah, that's the risk. To happen now. It's the, it's the debanking that you really got to worry about. And, uh, yeah. Um, and in the, in the corporatism, you know, like the corporates, are, you know, we we actually live in what people call is the definition of fascism, which is this um, unholy alliance between government and corporates. You know, um, I think Farage has been calling for some sort of uh, uh, legislation that creates a sort of a human right to a bank account, given the mm. modern electronic form of of banking and using money now. And and that surely is something that, that would have to happen. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's other ways at it too, I think. But, um, yep. Yeah, because you go around multiple banks, they're all refusing, you know. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened to Farage. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's no one left. Okay, and um, lastly, um, the COVID thing. Um I think you um, are across, um, and we've heard about it before, but the involvement of the U.S. Department of Defense and in Australia, the Australian Defense uh, Establishment, mm -hmm. in what, managing this whole thing, this whole COVID vaccination thing? And I'm trying to understand what that has to do with the military. Okay, well... well and it being a military operation doesn't sound like they're in a war, in a conflict, but yet there they are. Well, basically, it was a wartime response, the whole thing around the world. 
Um, the best place to, to explain it is that on March the 10th, Donald Trump was very relaxed about COVID. On March the 11th, he met the um, intelligence services and he met uh, national security people. Something was said. We can we can figure out what. Well, what um, would it have been? Because he's a well, genius and he knows he's seen all the charlatans in the world. He knows all about this. Yeah, no, he, he got he got snowed. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, you, you, one thing you know, one hundred and ten percent certainty is that whenever the intelligence services talk to politicians, they're lying. <clears throat> yeah, well, they, they he should have known that. He should have known that. Well, well, he didn't. Um, and March the eleventh, he instigated Operation Warp Speed, which was a military operation to develop the vaccines, which was So that run... was locked and loaded, ready to go? No, no, it's quick. I don't, don't think so, no. Well, well, maybe it was on the... Well, and, and defense, he was... He fronted defense it. Department. Yeah. He, yeah. Well, he fronted it. Um, Operation Warp Speed was a military... It was obvious that what he was told is that it was a biowarfare attack, right? Right and wrong. So they instituted a military response to a biowarfare attack, which was Operation Warp Speed. Um, Trump didn't want to mandate it, but he wanted to have the vaccines. He was lied... Two, it wasn't vaccines, it was gene technology, yep. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The mandates only came out after Biden. Um, the military ran the whole thing. There wasn't a single health person in the, in the leadership team. The uh, They designed, manuf- uh, they, they did all the manufacturing of the vials um, through their subcontractors who were, wait for it, weapons manufacturers. Yeah, so they had the capability, right? No, they didn't have the, that. No, they had the capability to make weapons. Oh, okay, but not. Yeah, okay. But they didn't have the capability to make um, uh, uh, drugs. Right. They, it takes at least a year to do the specs for a manufacturing rollout, let alone one that big. They, they had it all done in 10 months. It really was warp speed. There was no quality control, there was no product checking. The, um, it was a, the only country I, that I know of that actually checked what was in the vials was Japan, and they said, "What the hell is this?" and sent it back. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a manufacturing debacle run by the military, and as, as I said, um, Australia put the military in charge of the COVID rollout. I think there was an agreement in 2012 between the Gillard government, the UK, Canada, and America that if you were subject to a biowarfare attack, um, then this was what you would do. This was how you would work together. So, and so was- the, res- the response you're talking about tells us pretty well that whoever it was thought that this was a biowarfare attack or mm-hmm. had used, ginned up that for whatever reason to to go with the response. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the- you think they believed it was? Uh, no, uh, I think what they believed was, oh shit, this thing's got out. It's our fault. We've got to cover it up because they know the history of the gain of function and the Fauci and all of that. Yeah, they, well, the first thing that Fauci and Co did was try to cover it up, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so the, and then they realised, oh, there's political advantage in this and a lot of money to be made. But the thing that, that like, uh, so, um, Malcolm Roberts gave it what I regard as the best speech I've ever heard in the Australian Parliament, the senator, Queensland senator. Yeah. Um, absolutely shellacking the military response by Australia. And he, he used the phrase, what are the pharmaceutical companies wearing combat fatigues these days, right? Yeah. Which it's, it's an absolute blinder of a speech. You, you really should talk to him. But he got one thing wrong. 
right, which most people have, and that is that people think the pharmaceutical companies made the vials and were responsible for the manufacturing. They weren't. They were simply window dressing. And we have proof of this from their own words. Mm. There was a, a, a whistleblower in Pfizer who took them to court for fraud, right? And in the in the um, they, Pfizer successfully had the case dismissed on the grounds that no 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 we we didn't do the manufacturing, all we did was a demonstration, and then they and then they added to that um, that our demonstration didn't follow FDA protocols. In fact, it didn't follow any clinical protocols because it was only a demonstration, so we weren't required to. So then the question is, who did the manufacturing? And the answer is weapons manufacturers in the United States. Oh, now, dear. And so as a consequence, and, th- and this is, um, you know, I get blank looks when I tell friends and, you know, people I know, <clears throat> this is actually good news, right? Just to a, to a certain extent, um, the, in that if the actual vials had been the correct thing, Based on Pfizer's own clinical trials, it would have been a, an absolute catastrophe. This is the clinical trials that Pfizer oh, did. Oh, so they screwed it up. They didn't do it. The The weapons manufacturers screwed it up. Yeah, but are you about to say, I'm preempting you, that because they screw it up, it wasn't, screwed it up, it wasn't as bad as it could have been? Yes, because wow. about 40, and this has been shown in Danish and German studies, around about 40, 40% of the vials were just placebos. Oh, okay. Was that that sounds like a scam then? Well, the bad news was, the rest is sort of semi-toxic. But the bad news, and it's really bad news for those who unlucky enough, is that five percent of the vials were highly toxic. Right. Um, because you, when you have no control over the manufacturing process, you get enormous variability. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And there's there's a uh, site called how safe is my batch i think it's called yeah i've heard which, of that yeah which we, and what that shows is 90 percent of the harms and deaths come from five percent of the batches which right. is exactly exactly what you'd expect if there's no quality control and no product checking i mean there was one doctor in america who you know was sort of critical of the whole COVID thing and he got hold of some vials and he looked at it under the microscope <laughs> And he found, he said, what's this? And he went away and sort of talked to some people and said, oh, yeah, that's popped up leaves. What? Yes. It was a manufacturing catastrophe. Yeah, okay. It All right, so so with that in mind, because try and engineer it from that point on, so in terms of the indemnity offered to, in this country, to Pfizer, would that make sense if you're not the manufacturer? No. And that's exactly what Pfizer said in court. Don't blame us. We didn't do it. So uh, people jumping up and down about, we want to see the contract. Why did you indemnify them? You can't You can't hold responsible what, what do you the think people they're who didn't around? manufacture it for exactly. the manufacturing quality. Exactly. What do you think they're wandering around with this huge smile on their face? Oh, because they know that you cause. Okay. If you, want to, if you want to go at anyone, you have to go at the US Department of Defense. Yeah, but what about our government? Good luck with that. For doing the business with them, though. I mean, how could our government be so remiss and reckless to expose a population to 
such a um, uncontrolled manufacturing, quality controlled <laughs> situation, and, which could mean life or death. I mean, that is reckless. Yeah. Well, no, it's worse than that. It's state-sanctioned homicide. Oh, well, it's okay. State-sanctioned state harm. Let's go all the way. Yeah. It's state-sanctioned kidnapping. You know, people were locked in their houses. That's an. It was a um, an extreme act of violence. The only justification for which could have been, and certainly wasn't, that it might have stopped the spread. But nobody's even pretending that that is the case anymore. So, who freaked out the politicians and the institutions? Was that the security? Community yeah. again? That's Department of Defence, and it, it's the defence and intelligence establishment. Yeah, I mean, it was a it, it's a number of people pointed out. You know, I presume you read Robert Malone. He's he's very good on it. Um, yeah, it was a um, psyop. It was a military grade psyop. Yeah, and of course Australia fell in line. So did New Zealand. I mean, of course, big time. I mean, we're we're part of the Five Eyes. You know, we're more likely to fall in line than most. So it was just, it was a military it was military the whole thing is military and had nothing to do with health like nothing um I really feel sorry for the medical people I know who tearing their hair out going what the hell is this you know the smart ones yeah um and the answer is it wasn't anything to do with health and in the end it it it's in my view as I was thinking about this recently it, it's actually unleashed violence across the Western world. Yeah. And yeah. and once you've let it out of the the genie out of the bottle, it keeps going, you know. And so we're seeing more and more violence accumulating, plus not to mention the war, you know, Ukraine war and so on. But, and I think in the end that we'll see what happens in America, but um, you can see the the violence is in the end can only be controlled by the military. <laughs> So it goes in that direction. Here they yeah. come again. Yeah. How, how about, okay, well, that's a very good, interesting question because people wonder about that. How far does this go? I mean, we were talking before about mis- and disinformation, how that can fall apart. Yeah. How can this thing fall apart? Well, it depends on which way the military goes in the end. I mean, I, I've actually um, been in the view from fairly early on by using as my evidence the entire history of the human race, yeah. um, that in the end it's it's armies and militaries and people of violence who decide human affairs, and that that's where we're going. I think. Wow. Um, okay. And, uh, I mean, I'm hopeful that the military will do the right thing, but I don't think. I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, the courts. Um, I certainly hope I am. The courts may do their job. They've failed miserably so far. The courts in the United States, and I've got very little hope here. I, d I have no hope in the elected politicians doing their job. No. None. Um, you know, okay, well, why not? Why not? Yeah, that's a good question. I, they're just too weak? They're, they're too much for them? They could, they're, too, they're too scared. Too much to lose, yeah. I mean, I think they were scared at the time that there really was a Spanish flu and there really was people I spoke to. They were terrified that they would be seen to do nothing, so they did something. Yeah. And, and now they're scared of being exposed. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because it's what they've done is state-sanctioned violence. Yeah. And, and you know, if that comes out, then they're on the hook. 
They'll do everything to try and stop that coming out, won't they? Yeah, I mean, in Australia, what they're doing is they're making it extremely hard to report adverse events. You can find horrific data in the UK and the US, and it's been, a lot of work's been done on on the disabilities from uh, from the vaccine. Yeah, but you can't find that evidence in Australia. The Bureau of Statistics stopped covering it in 2014, and because of our disability insurance scheme, it's I can't find the evidence. But the evidence yeah. is there in the UK and the US, and um, which just—I mean, I don't know if you've seen Ed Dowd, but he—I saw. No, we've, we've talked to him twice on this program. Yeah, oh, well, he, he, he makes a very good point that normally the employed population are healthy, are healthier than the mm. general population. It's been reversed, and the only thing to explain that's the jabs. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a bioweapon. <laughs> it just is like the, the thing that was there in the first place is a bioweapon, a very ineffective one because it only lasted about three months. But the jab is a bioweapon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's you know, they're, they're in cover-up mode and they have the levers of cover-up, except for programs like yours, I guess. Yeah. No one of the dis and mis and malinformation is so up there on the radar right now. That's part of the cover-up. Yeah. That, that's trying to shut you up. You know, sh- shut people up thinking for themselves. You know. David James, Australian finance and business journalist. It has been fascinating speaking with you. Thanks for coming on our program. No problem. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.